Father, we thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you for the gift that we have in the community of saints that you have gathered and called uh, by your name and redeemed in Christ. And we thank you that this is the plan that you have had from the foundation of the world. And we are caught up in it. It's an exciting thing. It's a humbling thing to think that you would... Um, that you would condescend and send your Son to be fully man, fully God, to redeem us from our sin. And we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit once again help us uh, to discern your word, to have wisdom in applying it, to feast off of the beauty and the completeness that is in Christ. Help it to translate, not just us feeling good about ourselves because we've been made right with you, but that we love one another and that we uh, act as ministers of reconciliation to a world that is in open rebellion against you. From a heart of compassion with a commitment to the truth. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are... Um, <laughs> we're done with Exodus. We are about to start Leviticus, and, and we're, we're getting there. I, I thought it would be helpful to take a couple of weeks to lay the groundwork for uh, Leviticus, because, um, for a couple, but for a couple of chapters in the book, it's all legal code, which makes me happy. Uh, well, I, there are better. Please, uh, there are Jewish scholars would be much better, but we're going to take a stab at it. Um, Israelite society was governed by this Levitical code that we're going to start in a couple of weeks. Um, the thing about Leviticus, it, it has more direct quotes from God than any other book in the Bible. Think about that. And the Lord said to Moses, when you X, Y, Z, Again and again and again, these chunks of quotes directly from God, more than any other historical narrative, more than Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, more than any other prophetic work, the Lord said to Isaiah, Leviticus. And we, we run from this book, right? Run from it, because it's, oh, I don't even like reading you know, the traffic laws. What, what am I going to do with it? my devotional time, spend it on stuff that doesn't apply to me as Old Testament people. And yet, it has the most quotes of God in the Bible with, with quotation marks. Obviously, all of the Word of God is written. I know I saw Jody back there, just, or, or Cody back there. Jody, I call y'all Jordan and Cody. <laughs> Jody. Jody. It's awesome. We just kind of merge people. The one flesh thing with the name. All right. Uh, with all of this law that we have, uh, and this is all, of course, pre-Christ, pre-cross, with all of this law, how were these people saved from their sin? How do we... We have a chronological problem here, don't we? We have a, we have a Savior ahead, and we have millions of people before Him. How are they saved? Moses, Abraham, David, how are they saved? 
Um, we saw early in Genesis the problem with this. We saw Genesis 6-5 where um, after the fall, generations happened, the Lord saw the, wick- the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Right? That's a problem. Before holy God, that's a problem. My heart is continually on evil. Even David recognized in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about his mother's moral history. He's talking about the fact that he had a heart bent on rebellion against God from the very beginning. How were their sins and sinful hearts taken care of before the cross of Christ? How, how did this happen? Our whole trip through Exodus has been uh, focused on the singular focus of God. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will dwell in their midst. And the problem is, how does a holy God dwell in the midst of an unholy people? Good morning. Welcome. There's some uh, stuff over there if you're... I'm pretty confident it's not gluten-free. I, I can smell the gluten. Um, how, how does this happen? That's the whole point of Exodus. That's the whole focus of Exodus is God with his people. And yet, Christ, who reconciles needy sinners to their creator, is sacrificed and resurrected after those we read about in the Old Testament. What's the solution here? Yom Kippur. What's the solution? I heard the answer that's always good in Sunday school. Yes, that's right. But they don't know Jesus. Oh, yes, they do. They know the prophets, you say. How do they know Christ? How would they know him before he came? A couple of solutions that people have posited on this. I'll just go ahead and throw these out. One, uh, the Old Testament saints really kept the law of the Torah. That's one option. That would be the problem with that solution. With Christ, the, the argument goes like this. With Christ alone comes grace. Uh, so these saints must have been saved through following the law faithfully. I mean, surely the number's reduced, right? We read Judges, we see the number is reduced. Uh, but there were, the ones, of God, the ones that God really liked, they were able to do this. You know. Is that the solution? I see you by shaking of heads collectively, no. Why is that not the solution? What's wrong with that? I mean, sure, if some effort, some people really get zealous for the Lord, they're going to they're gonna be able to do this faithfully, right? Go back to that quote from Genesis. Go back to the quote from Genesis 6. The uh, hearts of men are continually producing evil or whatever it was. You, you're talking about Moses, though? The hearts of man. The hearts of man. Well, like you said, mm-hmm. By nature, children of wrath uh, talk about in Ephesians. He sinned at least once that we know of. Several points. Yeah, yeah, at least once that we know of. Even if they did keep it perfectly, um, that 
keeping of the law was was never enough to save someone because it, it required a deity blood spilled to cover the sin against uh, holy God. So Romans three twenty says, "For by works of the law, no human being." will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And this anticipates what we want to look at next week. Uh, after the cross, why do we study law? What's the point? That's one purpose. That's one purpose. Um, Paul further argues in Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. Can, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? That's the question. Paul, yes, always a good answer in Sunday school. Uh, Paul says nobody can keep the law perfectly. There were some that thought they did, though, didn't they? Remember in the life of Christ, the Gospels? There was one man in particular I'm thinking of. The rich young ruler. What happened there? <clears throat> what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, uh, follow the law. You know the law. Love the Lord your God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill, don't steal. He goes, points back to the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler very smugly crosses his arms, looks at Jesus and says, All this I have done from my youth. Well, he hadn't read Augustine. And Augustine made the argument that from his infancy, even nursing on his mother was a selfish act because he kept her up at night to fulfill his need rather than give her uh, rest. I mean, from... <laughs> I was conceived in iniquity, David said. And Augustine takes that to the, I would say, an extreme. Maybe it's not. Maybe he's right. Maybe that is a nature that, that comes out, even when kids crying all night to get. So uh, the rich young ruler had not read Augustine, and, and Jesus said to him, and it cut him to the quick. One thing you lack: go sell your stuff, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the guy walks away devastated. Why? Because in that moment he realized he had been violating the most fundamental command, the very first one. You'll have no other gods before you, right? And doesn't that coveting flips around to no other gods before me? And there's this constant cycle of, I can't do it. And James, Tammy talks about James 2.10, for, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. If anyone can be saved by the law, then those who were saved in the Old Testament would have been very, very few in number. Zero. Through the law, no man is justified. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see in Romans 3.23. So, from Adam onward, every human being is guilty and worthy of the just condemnation of, of God. The Torah is not the solution. It's the standard by which we see our great problem. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Um, Galatians 3.24 says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came. The NASB says, Our tutor to lead us to Christ. But the law cannot save us, and it did not save those who lived before the cross. So solution number one fails. Solution number two. This is a common one today, uh, and I'm sure it was held 
uh, back then as well because we all have the same heart, basically. God gave them a pass if they were good people doing good things. How's that working for you? I'm only human. I'm only human. And that seems to be the problem. I'm only human. Um, is that the biblical solution? It's not that we aren't good enough. It's that we aren't good at all. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Paul is quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3 there. It applies to us, but it also applied to Moses, to Joshua, to David. We're just not good enough to earn God's favor. He's holy, we're not, he's just, and we, as the human race, deserve his justice. So solution two fails. And solution three, this is one that's a little tricky. Solution number three, how are the Old Testament saints saved? They adhered to the sacrificial system. How about that one? Seems fair. They were working in the life they were given. Right? Ah, there's a problem, isn't there? He, author of Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats won't atone for anybody, won't cover anybody's sin. Right, but God in his graciousness made a way inside the law for that sacrificial system via Yom Kippur to push back those sins until Christ as a type and a, a shadow look to the future. It was a type of shadow, but it didn't do anything in it itself. Says Hebrews. I mean, what's the difference in that and um, the first uh, option given of keeping the law? Right. I mean, because essentially it is the law. So what are, we're left with a problem. That's all they have, though, right? I mean, you have sacrifices from the very beginning. You have Cain and Abel. How did they get in trouble? What, what started the feud there? I say what started. What gave rise to the culmination of their feud there? What were they doing? Jealousy. They were, it was jealousy. That was the problem. But, but what, were the, what was the means by which that came out? Do you remember? They were sacrificing. Abel was sacrificing from his flock. And Cain was sacrificing grain. And we'll see in Leviticus, grain is a perfectly acceptable sacrifice. It wasn't that he didn't do it right, Levit according to Levitical law, that he didn't have. Grain is a perfectly acceptable sacrifice. What's not acceptable? The heart. It's the heart. Uh, the heart of the matter is that my heart is the matter. I think one great uh, theologian on Lamp Mode Records has said, yes, so are you are you saying that it's it's their faith in God via the law that they Well let's explore the argument a little bit. The argument on they were saved by adhering to the sacrificial system. Thank God for Leviticus. Without those procedures for sacrifices, they would have been hosed. Right? That's the argument. Didn't that take care of the sins of the people? The sacrifices in and of themselves could not cover the sins of any person. And Clint rightly points to Hebrews 10.4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
And then in verse 11 he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So why then have the sacrificial system, since it did no good for anybody anyway? We're about to launch into a book that does no good for anybody. Year and a half. Yay! What are we doing with this? Kevin is leading us on a journey of futility. What a leader. All right. <laughs> Elect me for a second term and I'd fit right in. Okay. Um, these types, these sacrifices were, <laughs> these sacrifices were types, pointers to the true covering that was coming in the person and work of Christ. They're types. Old Testament saints obtained forgiveness and acceptance before God only as they sacrificed in true repentance, trusting in the promised Redeemer that was pictured in the sacrifice. Notice I didn't say trusting in the promise of a Redeemer. No man is saved by a promise. The object of faith has to be, has always been, and always will be the person of Christ. And it's the same for them as it is for us. They trusted not in the bull or the goat, but in the coming Redeemer. Solution number four is faith in Christ alone. The sacrifices we will study, and there will be lots of them, in Leviticus are only shadows and pictures of the ultimate sacrifice to come. It is only through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that any person is saved. Galatians 2.16 finishes this way, or starts this way. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Faith in, faith for the sake of faith, I have faith in my faith. He's got a strong faith in what? Himself. That'll save him. He, he believes in a higher power. He, ten steps, first one, you know. He follows all that. Faith, no. Through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no other way. Um. A lot of eschatology nonsense going on about this whole issue. This, um, this idea of 144,000 coming and the rebuilding of the temple and the sacrifices will start again and, and the Christians who are Jews are going to do this thing. It's going to be wonderful. They'll have their sacrificial system again. They'll be saved again through this? No. Faith in Christ alone. Just like the Old Testament saints, New Testament saints have the same obligation of faith in the person and work of Jesus. How in the world did the Old Testament saints have faith in Christ if he had not come? Somebody said it earlier. How? How do they know of him? The prophets? His word, God's word. Through the mouths of prophets? Starting in Genesis 3? Which says, what? 315? Do you remember this? We stayed, oh. How many were here when we did Genesis? I'm just thinking through. There is nobody here. You were here. You, Tammy was here. Tammy, do you remember? Genesis 315. The fall. Seed of the woman 
will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. What is that? That is Adam and Eve fallen, a promised redeemer, a promised savior. Faith in the promised redeemer, not the promise of a redeemer, the promised redeemer. There has never been a time in human history where there has not been a promised redeemer. From the beginning, Christ has been promised to us. All right. But are people saved by faith in the promise of a redeemer? No, no one's saved by promise. They're saved by faith in Christ. Father Abraham had many sons. All right, that's my next point. VBS is coming. It's going to happen. <laughs> Although I think this time around it's going to have a backbeat to it. So it'd be all... I don't know. Um, consider Paul's discussion of Abraham in Galatians 3. Turn, turn to Galatians 3. We'll actually open our Bibles this morning. I know it's crazy. Galatians 3. Let's start in verse 7 and just kind of, well, let me just read. Is it Galatians 3? Yeah, Galatians 3. Let's start with this. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now that's an interesting statement. How are you being perfected? How are you being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus? By the law? I'm saved by grace, but I've got to work really hard to grow in Jesus. Yes but it's not your work that's doing it. Our faith in Christ also carries us forward by dwelling on Him, by feasting on Him. That, that conforms us to the image of Christ. It's not just the entrance exam, it's the whole life. Look at verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is Old Testament Abraham before Christ, the name of Jesus, was ever mentioned in the Bible. Paul is calling him the man of faith. The NASV translates that Abraham the believer. How did Abraham become a believer? How did he get this blessing that he's promised, this salvation? Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Where's that quote from? Genesis. It's from Genesis. You have salvation by faith in a promised Redeemer in Genesis. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Your salvation is dependent upon you having the same type of faith exhibited by Abraham. Faith in the promised Redeemer. It's the same thing. 
And, and that's what Paul is saying. That's how Abraham got many sons. And I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Right arm. Okay. Not only is Paul saying that Abraham was counted righteous through faith, but he was that we are also made righteous by following that same pattern. It is by faith and faith alone. In what? The animal on the altar? The promise? A general belief in a higher power? Nope. Galatians 3.8. And the scripture, I love the way he says this, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What is going on there? What gospel is he being preached, interestingly, by the scripture? It's interesting language. What gospel is being preached there? And you all nations will be blessed. What's he talking about? There's no Jesus yet. Does Galatians 3 tell us? Does Paul tease out this argument more? Look at verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, Paul, being a good lawyer, is particular on words. Yes, Paul was a lawyer. He's particular on words. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. And then he names who the offspring is who is Christ to Abraham verse 18 for if the inheritance comes by the law it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise a promised redeemer how then did Abraham get saved from his sinful nature because remember well maybe you don't I'm assuming you've read Genesis before, but we talked a long time about Abraham. Uh, he's given a pass, I think, in most circles, but the man had some sin in his life. Ask Sarah. Um, sure, she encouraged him to do it, but it was his decision. He did it. Uh, he had some anxiety issues when he'd go to a new place. Apparently, Sarah was a looker. He didn't want her captivated by Pharaoh and other people or by, by uh, other Canaanites. And so he said, hey, we'll go with the half-truth. You're my half-sister. Let's say you're my sister. Won't get into the issues there. We'll talk about that more in Leviticus. Um, by the atoning work of the promised Messiah, Abraham needed a Savior. It's the same way you are saved from your sinful nature. The same way you can be if you have not yet put your faith in Christ who alone took on himself the sins of his people. There's only one way to be made right with God. There's always been only one way and there always will be only one way through Christ. The only difference between us and Abraham, David, and Moses is what? Time. Time. Specifically what time? Where we are in reference to Christ. Where we are in reference to Christ. From him and to him and through him is everything. Surely to God be the glory alone. It focuses on him. It's him. The Old Testament saints look forward to the promised redeemer. What 
a gift to us to be able to look back with confidence. I mean, Hebrews 11 talks about they died not ever having seen the promise. They're hoping He's coming. God said He'd pull this off somehow. I'm going to trust in what He's given me, this type of who's coming. Hope He does it. I'm going to trust this. Blessed are you. He's done it. And we trust what He's already done. What a great gift. You can also look at it. Um, it you have to like really trust in the trust and understand the foreknowledge of God because uh, where we are in history now, uh, we can understand that Jesus' blood would cover past sins, but it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that Jesus' blood also covered all the future sins mm-hmm. that were going to happen. You know, everything was taken care of there on the cross, past and present, past and future. Um, so you're like, wait, well, God knows what sin I'm going to do. There's a, a great expression of the sovereignty of God in all things um, in trusting the promised Redeemer. Moses, Hebrews 11:26 says, "Consider the reproach of Christ greater than wealth, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." The author of Hebrews says Moses is looking toward Christ, not to the bull, not to the goat, not to the lamb, but to Christ. Jesus says to the Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, I want to be clear. Did they have exact knowledge of the historical data that would be coming from the life of Christ? back in the Old Testament. They have exact knowledge of, you know, what all was going to take place. I don't think so. In fact, I'm going to just say no. They, they had prophets. The, uh, Peter says that the prophets diligent look, looked into these things to see what time and what manner and understand the gift that we have now in the four Gospels with the life and death and burial and resurrection of Christ, they didn't have that. But they had faith in the reliability of God's word that he would come. Again, it's a great treasure trove of riches that we have in the New Testament to be on this side of the cross. Because we have the gift of hearing guys like the Apostle John in John 1 say, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, Abraham never heard, which we have seen with our eyes, Abraham didn't see it physically, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You have these very physical, very uh, um, evidential-based, this is him, we've been with him, from the testimony of the apostles. He has come, He has fulfilled the promise and we can trust Him. Now, that's great. That's wonderful. We can skip three quarters of the Old Testament and just go straight to Matthew and and just go there now. Is that that the way that works? All All Scripture's God breathed. And what Scripture was He talking about when He wrote that? 
Name of the Old Testament. That's what he was using. Why can he do that? How can he do that? We see it. It all points to Christ. And that includes this little book wedged between the great narrative of Exodus and the depressing narrative of Numbers. <laughs> we have this interlude that many say will make you beg for Numbers. <laughs> we'll be looking forward to it. And then you get to Numbers and you're like, oh, I think Numbers is the hardest thing for you to read. It, it is for me too. Uh, but. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> This is why everything fails in March, because you hit Leviticus and Numbers. Um, I, just a brief anticipation. Next week, uh, we're going to talk about the benefit of the law to the believer. Why? Why do we study this? What's the point of this? Is if everything points to Christ, we have Him. We know Him. We know the history. We can, let's just dwell there. Why study Leviticus? Why study well, we've been studying quite a bit of law in Exodus. I know you love that. Uh, and then in, in Numbers, there's law. In Deuteronomy, it's a, and then we get to get it, go through it all over again. It's the second giving of the law. That way I can fix anything I missed the first time. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. Thank you, Moses, for doing that. Um, of what benefit is the law to the believer? So we're going to take that up next week. Lord willing, and the crick don't rise. Any questions or comments? Does that make sense? Is that a credible solution to how Abraham, Isaac, that rascal Jacob, David, all those guys that we love to read about and I can defeat giants just like David did, that's not about David and the giants. It's about Christ. It's all about Christ. Everything is about him, including Leviticus. And I am so thrilled that we're finally here. Next, we're going to talk about why. So, several, several reasons that we study the law. A few weeks ago, I tried to discuss some things that Pascal Denault pointed out in his book, but I realized now that I was kind of talking about the Cato Baptist view, which is wrong. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out who Pascal Denault is. French guy that wrote the distinctiveness of Baptist covenant theology. Okay. It's like the most clear picture of the law and uh, grace relationship under the earth. But, so he says that the clear way for me to understand it is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is the uh, covenant of grace revealed or promised, like we were saying. And then uh, when Christ came, it was concluded or fulfilled uh, in Christ. So you've always had the covenant of grace and the Old Testament was revealed mm -hmm. as, uh, as the prophets did uh, talking about the Messiah. And then when Christ came, he uh, concluded it, fulfilled it. Mm. Okay. Um, Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law, did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And to fulfill it for us. We'll talk about that probably a little bit more uh, next week. Any other questions? How we're saved? Did I, did I mess up anything? Uh, Cody. Yeah. Jesus said, I'm the truth and the life. He didn't say 
from this point forward. Right. Yeah. Right. But he said, I'm it. Yeah. And so I know, you know, at another church we went to, there was a a lady who wore, I think she's changed her view on that. She has. But she used to wear a Star of David and a cross, and when we asked her about it, she said, well, this is for Jews because they're saved from, because they're Jews. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is for the Christians because they're saved because they believe in Christ. Right. And so that and that was a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And so there are there there are people within the church who still kind of have this dichotomy of there are two ways to Jesus, either through your nationality and heritage, mm-hmm. or or through actual faith. But that that never, if you read the Old Testament, go through it. And we went through Exodus. There were lots of the ones who made it out of Egypt who were destroyed. Who dropped in the desert. Who, yeah, because, because of their faithlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, because they didn't trust right. in Christ. They didn't trust in God's goodness and in, in the coming. And the promised one, yeah. So. yeah. That's a common thing, you see. I, especially, um, especially when you start talking politics. When you start getting into geopolitical issues with Israel, then you have this whole idea that uh, somehow Israelites are the elves and they have this own internal glow of God's grace that's apart from Christ. And that's never been the case. Some, some, some people argue that to say that um, the, uh, the church is what Paul refers to as the Israel of God uh, is a replacement of Israel, the ethnic Israel. I, I reject that idea. I think it's uh, narrow-minded, narrow-sided on the view of it. I think what has always been the plan of God, and, you, and Philip talked about it in Isaiah, what has always been the plan is to, um, I wish I had a board. I'm, visual in mind's a whiteboard and me with a marker. Um, I think what happened, and I think a good visual of this, is that you have, um, um, you know, Abel, not Cain. Seth, not the others. You have a line that's chosen that God is working a plan through. Jacob, not Esau. Uh, you know, the, uh, you have it kind of expands into the Israel to to the people of Israel, and then it, it comes down to the line of David is being chosen. So you see this expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction, to where it comes down to one person, Christ, and then from Jesus, it just explodes, and. And because of what he has done, he came to save the world, right? The, for God so loved the world. Now, we can talk about what world means and all that kind of stuff. But what in John's vernacular, he's arguing against ethnic Jews who think they're the only ones of God's people. We're, Abraham was our father. We know who our father is. That idea. But what's going on is, it's, Paul will say it this way, um, not all who are of Israel, are Israel. Right? And that's Old Testament as well as his day. The point being that God is a people set apart for himself, whether they're ethnically one thing or another. That's right. And in fact, in John, John talks about it, it explodes where there are people of all nations 
not every person of every nation, but people in on it. There's no bar. There's no ethnic bar. And notice I'm not using the word race. I despise that term. I think it's an evolutionary term. We're different ethnicities. We're all from one race, the human race, right? So we're, we're different ethnicities. There's different makeups maybe. But it's all, there's no ethnic barrier to the gospel. Christ explodes. And, and, and you see in Isaiah, he says, I, I, Egypt who is not my people, I call my people. Assyria is my people and, and, and my footstool and my, you know, whatever. So he talks about other Gentile nations as being his people in Isaiah. That's always been the plan. And it's all been focused on faith in Christ, the promised Redeemer. Yeah. Would you please tell me? What about Romans 9? I, it seems like it would be controversial just in the name. Well, just that not all those are that are Israel. Yeah. Are Israel. Said that, doesn't it? I mean, this, this is an extremely contentious subject. Sure. Even amongst the, the church. And like you said, there, there's always been a remnant. And you, know, you said people fell in the wilderness, but there was a remnant saved. Mm-hmm. Elijah's day, there were... Who's going to, you know, Elijah was tore up. Mm-hmm. And nobody was believing his message. Right. God said there's even 7,000 that, that still. Now think about that statement. You think you're the only one, really? Yeah. Is my arm short? Mm-hmm. I've reserved for myself 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal, he says. What a great statement. I think in these times where we see kind of the people who are. Christians sort of just falling away because it's politically expedient to hold a view that's contrary to God and say you're not God here very publicly and the, or to say I'm glad I'm not a Christian anymore because I would have had to hold to that kind of stuff. You see those kinds of statements. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to be despairing on what's happening in the church. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Pray, pray diligently to be faithful as one of them, right? We're looking at some, some stuff ahead. Is God's arm short? No. No. Anyway, yes. Any, 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 any other No, yes. I'm schizophrenic right here in front of you all. Yeah. We see... This was contentious. I mean, in John 8, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see me in my day. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what does he say? Before Abraham was I Yahweh. Yeah. And then they picked up stones to kill him. Right. Because so they misunderstood why, him. That's why they, that's why they murdered him. Yeah. Is this, this thing. Yeah. No, but he never, but you, claim, you don't understand, he never claimed to be God. Oh, okay. He just never... That's, that's, you're just misunderstanding. So, mistranslation, I'm sure I am claiming that name for himself. Um, that's in sarcasm there. Um, any, any other statements? On, yeah, Jody, Cody. The law, especially Leviticus. One thing that always gets me when I read John 3 when. Jesus like rebukes Nicodemus like mm-hmm. you're a teacher of the law when he says the law he's talking about the first five books of the mm-hmm. law and he goes like how do you not get it how, yeah. how, how are you not seeing that's the HCSB spirit? translation how are you not getting this how are you not getting yeah. that uh, and I look at the 
don't know. I I look at those books and sometimes it's like, but until somebody like walks me through it, mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh yeah. I think I get that Nicodemus. Yeah. 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 I don't know, but whenever we sit down and we go through it, it's like, oh, Jesus is obviously here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Old Testament has been described as the gospel concealed, and the New Testament is the, is the gospel revealed. Um, Mark Dever has a great series called "Promises Made and Promises Kept" on the two two testaments. So it's a great great series. I'm glad. Jewish faith. Like, mm. she is um, very... Is she Orthodox or Reformed? Well, she calls herself Orthodox, mm-hmm. but um, she's Reformed. Okay. Um, and it's just difficult talking to Whitney about the Gospel because mm-hmm. there is a very broad um, <laughs> just a cliff because she has this understanding of the God that her grandmother follows, mm-hmm. which is very clearly not the God that I follow. Mm-hmm. And so I try to take her to Galatians, and I tried to, but it's just hard. Yeah. Because um, she just does like there. There's a disconnect. Sure. She's understanding these to be the same God, but they're clearly not the same God. Right. Her grandmother does not worship the same God. Yeah. Yeah. And um, her grandmother is not just a nominal Jew. She's very much disgusted with Christ. Whitney Smith in her wedding, you can't have her wedding in a place where the cross is displayed mm-hmm. or anything. And so, um, yeah. That, How does she say that she, she is saved then, since there's no temple? Well, she she takes great joy in following um, the Sabbath or keeping, you know, that's, right. that's where, I don't know that, I don't, I don't know anything about her grandmother. Okay. All I know is that I've, I have not had an opportunity to talk with somebody that devout. I, I haven't either. Um, <laughs> I bet that's very interesting. I, I've had I've had discussions with nominal Jews, and and yeah. and uh, those have been interesting. And they're in Tennessee. She went and visited them last week, and and so, um, yeah. Yeah. She was going to come today, but something happened. Oh, so. great. Yeah, yeah, we're close. We're we're close at work. She's one of my better friends. Well, good. Um, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. So, y'all that. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. All right, any any others? It's not, uh, yeah, speaking of the law, it's 10-15. Let me pray. What a great grace it is to have your scripture that clearly displays the beauty, the majesty, the sufficiency of Jesus. God, would you forgive us of the times when we uh, cheapen this, where we don't value what you've done for us in Christ because we want to be the God of the moment. 
Lord, I pray that your Spirit would testify again to our hearts of the beauty of Christ. That we would honor Him with how we live and how we love one another. That we would honor Him in committing ourselves to clear thinking through your Word and clarity of proclamation of the Gospel. Trusting that you are the one who changes hearts, not us. And we're thankful just to be a part of it. We feel like Ringo Starr of the Beatles. We're just happy to be here. Um, what a great gift to be involved in the eternal purpose that you have for the church, gathering for yourself a people from before the cross and after the cross to present to Christ as a love gift. What a great, great thought. I pray that you continue to shape us into His image, that we may be um, reflecting Him rightly before a rebellious world. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.